So <clears throat> this is my second year teaching build. So saying every year I like to do something is weird. But <laughs> every year I like to go through this technology questionnaire that I um, had Allie print out. So if you don't have it, grab it. Um, <clears throat> this questionnaire is something that, well, to back up, so, you know, in my household, we had to make some rules with the use of technology for dad. <laughs> so, like, before my kids had cell phones, there was a strict no cell phone at the table rule. It was actually even before my wife had a cell phone, there was a strict no cell phone at the table rule because I would answer phone calls, I would text Jerry, um, son's commentary. Um, and, and then as we started introducing different forms of technology into our household, um, it just became an obvious stumbling block for every single one of us. And, and so we started creating conversations around it. And out of that, I developed this questionnaire for our family to use. We probably do it less frequently than twice a year, but probably every nine months, like more than once a year too, where we just, at the dinner table, I assign this and give the kids a week to fill it out. And then we spend time going through these questions. And it's been helpful for my heart to know, um, like if you look at the top of the questionnaire, there's four things we need to keep in mind with respect to technology. And, and I introed this with the cell phone, but there's a lot of technology in our homes that can distract us, um, whether it's the television, whether it's video games. Cell phones are an easy one. I'm sure there's other ones. Um, those are the big three in our household. Um, and so, or the computer. And, and there's good uses for those that still become a distraction. Um, and so keeping in mind that God does have a purpose for technology is helpful. Um, I think it's very obvious that Satan has a purpose with technology. Um, and our hearts, we need to think through how our hearts use technology and respond to technology and know that there are good ways to glorify God with it. Um, and so in, in our context, and I think just in the nature of the world today, it's hard to just cut all of technology out. You can't say this is unuseful and we don't want it. But you really have to think through how do I position technology in my life. Um, and so um, for the sake of kind of maybe asking too much, what um, in you guys' life, someone share just where do you see technology being a benefit in your household? Kind of putting you on the spot. DIY. Yeah. DIY. No joke. Yeah, seriously. I have saved so much money not calling an appliance repairman by looking it up on YouTube. <laughs> like, What else? Be able to um, access the Bible, like with a Bible app on your phone. You couldn't do that before. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, we have a Bible everywhere we go. Like, what a benefit that is. Um, it's, it's interesting. When we, when we go through this technology questionnaire, I ask the kids to look at their, um, what's the, I can't remember the app, what it's called, but basically how much they use different apps the iPhone has whatever it's called. Screen time. Screen time thank you. Um, and, and have that report dictate where they think their priorities are with their phone. Um, mm -hmm. and, and it's interesting how much the Bible app is used and how, or how little it is, depending on the person. And I mean, we, I, I like to read out of paper, but it's still such a nice tool to have right there. What else? I think for communication's sake, um, I use it a lot to keep up with people. 
and uh, it's just incredibly great. I can't get someone over the phone, I can get them over text, I can get them over text, I get them via email or social media. And I like to keep up with the Saints, man. So I think it's really, really great, especially for the sake of encouragement. If I'm thinking about somebody, I'll send them a quick text message. You gotta think about you, love you, praying for you, or you know, things like that. Um, yeah, I think I find it the most, I guess, enjoyable outside of, of course, the Bible app and uh, even access to resources, you know, Ligonier or anybody else. It's great. Yeah. Yeah, our small group guys has a group chat, and it's so sweet to see people care for each other. Um, you know, Shags in my small group, his mom had a heart attack a couple of weeks ago. And just the way that the guys reached out and then turned those into phone calls and turned those into care in their home, like, it's it's sweet to have, I mean, there was one point during that day I hadn't even responded, and I had like 35 texts from guys in our group just caring for each other. And so it's awesome to see that. What else? Yeah. I make my living with technology. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. That's I do too. It's an internet business, so it would be a pretty bad business if there wasn't the internet. What are some ways that it can lead you into sin? Generically, a time waster. Yeah. I mean, of all the ways that you can sin on the internet, I mean, there's so many of them just taking half a minute with each one. Yeah, years ago I had to delete words with friends off my phone because I found that I was seeing words in everything. <laughs> and and it was a source of pride because I never lost, but <laughs> what else? That's the convicting one for me. I, someone who isn't here yet um, dressed up as me for Halloween this year, which was weird. But the, the prop was his phone. Like, he held the phone out. He's like, hey, I'm Matt. Like, <laughs> oh. he also had a sagebrush coffee mug. And that was his, like, that was his costume. Was So I'm like, oh. You cut me deep, Dustin. <laughs> yeah. Anything else? I just think of how quickly or how invasive just all of the temptation to lust and everything is so easily accessible. Like yeah. I know Bethany and I have gone through and like deleted apps and like set up provisions that like okay this isn't as easily accessible but it's still accessible you know yeah it's crazy how how much at our fingertips this world is you know yep I think covetousness um, I, I see so much of it where you know we're we're doing an advent thing with my kids right now and uh, so much of technology leads them to desiring what they don't have mm-hmm. and uh, and as I you know as, as, as we talked about that with my kids I, I also saw that in me there's you know there's always going to be outside of being Bill Gates there's always going to be somebody that has more right 
there's always going to be something that is um, that, that that you you just you don't have that God is not um, that God is not uh, determined for your life, and I think that so often we we look at what um, at what others have, what others are, and we we desire it for ourselves, and and I think that social media exacerbates that that significantly. Wingers, I'll say. Or left wingers? I was going to say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the stuff they're posting, the minute I see it, man, my anger goes off. Oh. And, and, and I want to say it's righteous anger because it's unbiblical, but it's not righteous anger. It's That's sinful it. anger. And I want to lash out. And I've had to shut that thing off so many times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. I, would, I would say slothfulness and becoming desensitized. I mean, thoughtfulness is just before I had my own cell phone, this one now. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, had, I had everyone's uh, phone numbers memorized. Yeah. Because, because I had to. If I was somewhere and I call somebody, I'd be like, oh, you know, I can just call. I would dial somebody up because I knew their phone number. Now I don't know anybody's phone number. I don't even know my um, kids' phone numbers. Right. No, seriously. You know. And then also the desensitized part because. You know, now that you can text, you don't pick up the phone to call that person or you don't go visit that person. Um, you know, you can just shoot the email or shoot the text, but I tell you what, when I get a letter in the mail, that, that warms my heart. I'm like, oh, I got a letter. You know, I mean, yeah. it's something personal, it's tangible, right? It's something that yep. someone took the time to do that and, and put the effort and heart into it, and, and, and there's, there's almost none of that anymore. Yeah, that's, that's actually what drove the seventh question there in the list is how can you evaluate your if you value technology filtered interactions over real life interactions. Um, and I see that with our kids' generation, and I see it bleeding into our generation. Like, um, it's easier to text. It's, you know, you can be almost anonymous behind a, some piece of technology. And so it's easier to, to let anger rise. It's easier to, to not interact with people with grace. Uh, you pick up a phone or you step into someone's life the interactions are very different, and that's important to have those interactions. There's a lot more of a intimacy that comes from us sitting in this room together than there is if I send an email to all you guys, uh, and we need that. Yeah, I think there's even between Zoom, a Zoom meeting and an in-person meeting is different too. Right? Oh my, yeah. Don't get me started. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I've been trying for years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think one thing we haven't touched on is I think the use of technology gives you an avenue to hide sin. Um, and that's a scary place to be. Um, I think the more, like Kenny, you mentioned sitting down with Bethany and working out apps like I think the more opportunities you have to put in front of those in your household hey here's where this is causing me to stumble the better chance you have of beating it Um, sin loves to isolate sin loves to hide sin loves to be in your phone (laughs) where other people can't see it Um, yeah and I think there's also a tendency on on internet to uh, especially like Facebook you, you, you really paint yourself the best you can and it's not really a true picture I, I mean it's it's inflated yeah mm-hmm. yep Marilyn and I talked about computers and even in our house every computer you can see every screen yeah mine too you know you can't you can't there's not one turn where you can't see they're all wide open the kids they have to do it they don't know why but they're getting used to it yeah, our kids, the computers are on the kitchen table, or we have an office, um, and cell phones are downstairs. We don't let our cell phones go upstairs. Kids can't have their phones in their bedrooms. Um, yeah, and I mean, I've got a 19-year-old living at home, and he puts a cell phone on the kitchen counter every night before he goes to bed. Um, it's, and, and I've had to put, like, I've had to put protections in my own life. I honestly don't have any games on my phone. Um, 
not because I don't like games, but because they just suck me in and I don't know how to not play them. <laughs> and so they're just not there. So when my kids grab my phone, they're like, your phone's so boring, Dad. <laughs> yep. That's the idea. <laughs> That's the idea. Um, and I've, I've had to cut, I mean, virtually cut social media out of my life because of what you were talking about. Like, it just causes me to get angry. Like, I, it's not helpful. I think it was the first time Obama was elected was when it pretty much cut a, um, social media out. Um, and so... I think there's ways, and, and everyone knows where they need to put those guardrails up with technology in their home. The important thing is to be interacting with the other people in your home and know where they need those guardrails and to help them with it. Um, this is a perfect avenue as a parent to have open conversations with your kids. Um, and I think, you know, the kids have social pressure to get phones at crazy young ages. I mean, my daughter in seventh grade was the only kid in her class without a cell phone. And her teacher would, would like finish a lecture and be like, okay, everyone, take your phones out and take a picture so that you can use this for homework. And Eden would come home and was like, I can't do my class because I don't have a phone. And so I had to reach out to the teacher. I'm like, you need to email me the picture of the whiteboard so that she can do homework because she's not getting a phone. Um, and those are conversations that you have to have with your kids like um and the solution might not be get your kid a cell phone um and so yeah <laughs> <What'd you say? laughs> she has a polaroid why didn't i think of that <laughs> she's like Shit. so um, my encouragement is this, is, this is what we use in the Kelso household. This isn't gospel. This is, it's been helpful for us. It's really an avenue to start that conversation, to give you guys um, ways to kind of just sit down with your homes and have these conversations with your spouse, with your kids, with your roommate, whoever it is. Um, it's helpful. So that's it. Let's break for small groups. All right, let me pray. Lord God, thank you for the time that we just had. God, what an encouragement it is to hear about how you're changing lives, how you're um, just using these words that are spoken um, to help us grow in our love for each other. Lord, thank you for what Eric taught us last time. Lord, I know that that message is near to his heart, and we heard it, and we felt that, and we're able to implement it. Lord, thank you for these men. I love them so much. God, I love what you um, give us to do here in this body, Lord. Uh, this is my favorite time of the week, Lord. Thank you for that. Lord, use these words to help us be better men, help us to um, just minister your word to those around us better, Lord. In your name, amen. All right, this week we're talking about Paul's gospel ministry. Um, it is going to be out of one section of scripture, which is weird for a build lesson. I think last time I taught, we were in like 40. Um, today we're in one. Um, and so we'll be in 1 Thessalonians and really most of the first two chapters um, of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, before we do that, um, when you hear the word ministry, what's the first thing you think of? Care. What? Care. Care. That's good. All right, we're done. <laughs> what else? Serve. Serve. Yeah. <laughs> were you going to say something, Omri? You started to say. Come on, Pastor. <laughs> <laughs> Give us the answer. <laughs> Anything else? I can't hear. Which, caution. Caution? Yeah. You got to expand on that one, buddy. Anytime I'm ministering, I want to do it cautiously and not not in my own Ooh, that's really good. Yeah. What else? Serving, serving one another. Yeah. 
What areas of ministry do you guys have? Where do you guys, like, who serves? Where do you serve? Name some stuff. In the home. In the home. Absolutely. Passing communion on Sunday. Passing out communion. That helps so many people worship. That's one of those behind-the-scenes things that um, communion is such a great time of worship. It's more important than being the person that sings songs. That's why I tell my brother anyway. (laughs) 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 What else? Dog sitting occasionally. What? Dog sitting, that is a great ministry to my household. Thank you for that. <laughs> Did you have something, Carlos? Uh, oh, yeah. Another great behind the scenes thing of serving the body. Absolutely. I also help the believers worship by serving at the coffee table. Yes. Thank you. That wakes us up. <laughs> it changes my whole demeanor when I walk in on Sunday. That's helpful. Two's class. That you have a special kind of grace. <laughs> um, yeah, there's so many areas that we can serve others. Um, this message is interesting because we're looking at Paul's gospel ministry, and it's primarily evangelism in this passage. Um, evangelism is a great form of ministry and Adam you said it in the home like I've got a non-believer in my home and I've had three non-believers in my home at various times Um, my gospel ministry in my home brings the gospel to the lost Um, and we have ministry at our workplaces um, because our gospel ministry in the workplace brings the gospel to the lost. Um, There is one of the primary things I want you guys to walk away with as we look at this passage is the type of man Paul was. Um, He, this passage is kind of a first person narrative where he talks about what he did when he was at the church at Thessalonica. And so much of it describes the type of man he was and how the type of man he was impacted the way his ministry um, manifest in the church at Thessalonica. And so as we want to think about how we minister, whether it's vacuuming the worship center, serving coffee, serving coffee is great, Um, (laughs) or teaching twos, um, the type of man that you are is connected to how the gospel is brought forth in Scripture. Um, We know that God is sovereign over bringing the gospel to people and transforming hearts. And yet Paul makes it very clear that he has a role in that. And that his role, more than anything else, is how God has transformed his heart and has worked in his life. Um, And that's really how, you know, we talk about the build disciplines of discipline one, shepherding your heart. Discipline two, shepherding your home. Three, ministry. Um, they're so interconnected because if you're not the kind of man that can have an impact on your home, then your home shepherding is not going to be the way you want it to be. And if your shepherding of the church or your ministry within the church doesn't, isn't connected to the type of man you are, then your ministry is not going to be fruitful. Um, and so let's open up God's word. Let's read 1 Thessalonians and let's listen to the type of man that Paul was. Um, we'll start in verse 2. And we're going to read kind of a ways through chapter 2, verse 12. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. That phrase right there, what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake, is actually the first thing that comes to my head when I think of the book of First Thessalonians. 
Um, I love that phrase. I think about that phrase all the time. What kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Keeping going. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is, Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain, but after we had already suffered and had been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. For our exhortation did not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our heart. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek for glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority. But we proved to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to, be, to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behaved towards you believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Amen. Well, thank you guys. That was good. I don't know how I can add to that. That's so, such a sweet passage. To put that section in context, um, Paul is about halfway through his second missionary journey. He started in present-day Turkey, Strengthening the churches established from his first journey. He traveled to Philippi and preached the gospel, and they were the first converts in Macedonia. But he was persecuted while he was in Philippi, and he departed quickly down the coast to Thessalonica. He spent three Sabbaths preaching the gospel to them. Three weeks. Um, I think if you look at Acts 17, there's, there's a chance he might have been there as many as six weeks. Um, but he wasn't there that long. Everything that we just read was a month, a month and a half. Like, we're going to be back here in a month. That's how short it is. Um, and yet he had a huge impact with the gospel in that time. And not just an impact with the gospel, like, so much of that is a testimony of his life. So this wasn't like he came on Sabbath and preached and then went home and was apart from the flock. Like, he was in their lives in a major way. The main thrust of his message was Christ the Messiah. There were some Jews that were converted, but many of them were um, Gentiles. This was mostly a Gentile church. Um, and he ended up having to flee to Berea. And that's, he's writing this from there. And there's a lot of context for what happened here in Acts 17. Um, and so that's where a lot of that came from. And so today... We're going to look at nine characteristics of gospel ministry. Um, this lesson originally had 11. There really are 11. Um, this message goes about an hour and a half if there's 11. So we're going to look at nine. Um, I cut a couple out. Uh, the first three kind of highlight the fruit of his ministry, and then the next six talk about his character. Um, and that's the key takeaway today, is if I want to have fruitful gospel ministry I need to be intentional with how God has with what my character looks like I need to think about my character um, if I want to go 
and I, I don't know, I think some of you guys, many of men want to go into full-time ministry eventually in life. Um, when I was young and met with Scott Maxwell for years, um, I would say, man, I want to I be a pastor. I want to be in ministry. And he would say, focus on your heart. Be the kind of man that God likes to use for ministry. Um, whether it's vacuuming or being a pastor, you want to be the type of man that God likes to use for ministry. And um, this passage really talks about that. So let's start. Uh, the first characteristic of gospel ministry um, comes out of verses 4 and 5 of chapter 1. And that is that gospel ministry reveals God's electing love. It says, we give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as, the kind of, just as you know the kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Verse 3 tells us of Paul's great thanks to God for the Thessalonians, and his thankfulness has three dimensions. The first dimension is in verse 2. It's the form, making mention of you in our prayers. God is thankful for them in prayer. He is a praying man. Um, and then there's evidence for his thankfulness. Their work of faith, their labor of love, and their steadfastness of hope. Um, and then the cause is knowing beloved, by, beloved of God, his choice of you. We see his choice of you at the end of verse 4, and we know of God's electing love towards the Christians in Thessalonica. But how does he know this? We find that answer in verse 5. The word for, right there at the beginning of verse 5. What a great word. Um, Paul knows God's choice of him because of how the gospel came to them. How did the gospel come? In power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. When I think of the gospel in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction, I think of that as being the gospel. But in this passage, if you look at the, the end of verse 5, he's actually describing the men that brought the gospel. Just as you know the kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. The power of the Holy Spirit and full conviction describes Paul and his traveling companions. It is the we that is there in the power and in the Holy Spirit and a full conviction. The gospel needs to be something that has power in your life. You need to be full of the Holy Spirit and you need to be convicted of it if you want the gospel to have an impact on people. Um, God's electing love is there, but it's not independent of gospel proclamation and it's not independent of gospel transformation in your life. The gospel message that relies on some socially or culturally relevant message is not the means that God typically uses for his elective choice. Um, it, I, I found myself in preaching the gospel in the workplace primarily wanting to soften the message. Um, almost, have you found yourself kind of almost being embarrassed for the message? Because it, it rubs against the culture so strong that you want to kind of, like, I'm not going to lead with some of the things that the gospel preaches because I don't want to upset them. I want to make a path into how I bring the gospel. That is not with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. Um, if we're going to bring, the gospel has that, but if we don't bring it with that, then we're not preaching the gospel as God's written it. There's a beautiful marriage between God's sovereignty over salvation and our responsibility to preach the gospel. But if we're not preaching the gospel the way that God's written it, um, I don't think that's the gospel that God likes to use to save people. I mean, God can use whatever he wants, right? Like, he's used donkeys. Like, he can use what he wants. Um, but he commands us to, to be convicted with the gospel and to preach the gospel. And this is the way he has used... I mean, if you think of how he's saved you, 
Did someone preach a soft gospel or did someone tell you that you needed a savior? Um, and so the gospel comes from men who preach it with power and with full conviction. As you're using, being used by the Lord, consider, am I a man who is in step with the Spirit as I undertake ministry? Am I confident in the gospel's power to change? Um, I don't want to change. I don't want to be the one that changes the gospel. I want the gospel to be the one that changes the person in front of me. The next um, consideration for gospel ministry is that it labors for nothing short of repentance. For Verse 9 says, For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you and how you turned away for, to God, turned to God away from idols. The repu- reputation of the Thessalonians was spreading rapidly throughout the entire Mediterranean region. The testimony was all about two things, the manner in which Paul was received when he brought the gospel to them and how the Thessalonians reported or repented from their sin. Notice that Paul wasn't content to simply be welcomed in peace. Um, Biblical gospel ministry pursues repentance, a turning away from sin to God, the God of the gospel. Would we be content if our kids were pleasant to us and wanted us in their lives but never repented? I mean, the textbook answer is, of course not. But think about that in your home. Are you fighting for obedient children who just listen to you and and stay out of your way? Are you fighting for gospel-changed lives? Think about the way you correct your kids. Are you using their their sin to bring the gospel to them? Or are you using their whatever sin to say, hey, you need to calm down, this is annoying, I'm trying to watch TV? I have a kid who's a do-gooder. Like, I never saw his sin. Like, Jenna and I would straight up pray that God would reveal his sinfulness to us because he never sinned. I've recently found out he sinned all the time. He was just so good at it. Like, he used to, which is a given away. It's Jonathan, I will just say. If you guys know my household, you know it's Jonathan. Um, he, He shared a room with his brother. He used to tell his brother every night, which doesn't say a lot for Noah, but he used to tell his brother every night, like, hey, you should go out and give mom and dad a hug. And then he, Noah would come out, hey, guys, and we'd give him a spanking for getting out of bed, and he'd go back in bed. Jonathan would just be laying in bed laughing. I'm like, that kid was evil. <laughs> but, but he got away with it. Like, I didn't know this until like three weeks ago. <laughs> Um, but our goal as parents was was not to correct behavior it was to bring the gospel to our kids and for them to see their sin as as terrible in the eyes of god Uh and and we want repentance like we want that for our kids um i want repentance for my coworkers that aren't christians we, we have to desire that. Um, and we have to love them enough to step into their lives and beg them to see where their destructive path is going. A good question to ask is, does my message to others have as one of its foundations faith in Jesus Christ and repentance of sin? Yeah. Does my message to others have as one of its foundations faith in Jesus Christ and repentance from sin? Um, With all of the arguments, disunity, dissension in the world right now, um, how you respond to COVID, how you respond to Biden, how you respond to um, schooling, like there's so many things to argue about that are so much less important than the gospel. And I I know I find myself just going down the rabbit trail of these conversations and not using it as a means to bring the gospel to people around me. Um, 
And yet that's my ultimate goal. Like I'm wasting time if I'm not doing that. Um, and so we need to labor for nothing short of repentance. Paul did that. Um, and we want to emulate Paul in this. The third one is uh, gospel ministry results in a desire for God above all else. And that's still in verse 9 and 10. How you turn to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. Notice the two characteristics of their repentance. To serve a living and true God and to wait for Jesus. The life of the converted Christian aims at these two objectives. Serving God and waiting for the return of Jesus. Notice what is not the aim of biblical repentance. It is not a better work situation or a better marriage situation. Um, to be sure, these things may come as a natural result of living a more holy life, but the genuine re believer prizes obedience to the Father and longs for Jesus' return. You know, there, there was a period, well, I was at small group one time, probably a decade ago, and um, and one of the guys in my group was sharing his area of sin, and he said, I just don't long for heaven enough. I find myself thinking too temporally and not eternally enough. And I was thinking, man, that's your, like, my area of sin is so much worse than that. Um, and yet I've thought about that for years. Um, if you're thinking eternally and longing for heaven, it has an impact on every aspect of your life. It has an act, impact on how you interact with those people across the table from you because Jesus could be back at any moment. There's an urgency that comes from longing for heaven and thinking about Jesus' return. Um, when, when Jesus comes back, we'll be free from sin and we'll finally have unhindered fellowship with Christ what a sweet thing that is. Man, I can't wait. Um, I think Josh said at Caleb's funeral, I've never hated sin more than I do right now. The feeling of death so close um, just causes us to hate sin and, and a love for Jesus' return and a desire to think about Jesus' return um, I think will help us hate our sin more. Um, there's, there's a certain level of urgency that comes in thinking about, I, I could be standing before God today. Um, so, if you're being used by the Lord in any way, consider, does my message regularly aim for believers who look forward to Christ's return for his, believer, for his people? Do you regularly remind yourself of these realities? Where do you go to your Bible to read about these truths? Um, is this something that you feed into your regular Bible reading so that you can remind yourself, not just when you get there in your reading plan, but on a regular basis, that God's coming back, Jesus is coming back, and there's an urgency here? So the next six um, talk about Paul's character. A character like Paul's doesn't lose courage in the face of opposition. Uh, and that's chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you is not in vain, but after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God, to speak to you the gospel of God amid, amid much opposition. The fact that Paul faced opposition doesn't mean something was wrong. Um, he was mistreated and suffered in Philippi. I'll tell you what, I've had a couple of gospel conversations over the years with people that didn't go very well, and I wasn't quick to go back to that. Um, and I guarantee it went nothing like what Paul dealt with in Philippi. No one's picked up a rock to try to kill me. <laughs> what I perceive as not very well just shows you how cush my life is. Um, and yet, 
he went straight back to go preach the gospel as quick as he could. Um, God tells us in Matthew 10, 22, you will be hated by all because of my name. And yet Paul did not shrink from declaring anything to you that was profitable, solemnly testifying of repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's from Acts 20. Paul was consistently faithful to the gospel regardless of how he was treated. And we live in an age where hostility to the gospel is increasing. Um, The day is coming sooner than I think any of us want to believe that it's going to be costly to live out our faith in the culture. Um, I hope that this isn't the case. I pray this isn't the case. Um, But I would not be surprised within the next 12 months if, because of some of the things that our church preaches, we lose our um, nonprofit status because we're a, we foster hate speech. Um, I think persecution's on the doorstep, um, and and we just have to pray. <laughs> like we just have to pray, um, and we have to be willing to preach the gospel amongst much persecution. Um, my two boys were baptized a while ago, and before we had them baptized, we talked to them about the gravity of the decision they were making to be baptized. Um, They had professed faith. We understood that, but we're like, you're going to be persecuted for this. They're going to videotape it. It's going to be on the internet. Someone's going to Google your name, and they're going to see that you're associated with this. And that will cause persecution in your life. Recognize that. Know that. And and are you willing to stand by your faith in a way that, that you're okay with that? Um, and, you know, I feel like they were old enough to make that decision on their own and, and were baptized. Um, I, last night, weirdly, I Googled my name. Um, I was trying to prove a point to somebody, and it did. Um, communion messages pop up first when you see my name. Um, it's not hard to know where I come from biblically. That could have a negative impact on my business. That could have a negative impact on a lot of things that, you know, this stuff starts coming up. Like, we have to be willing to be persecuted. And I think it's coming. Um, I think we've lived in a time in history where we have had the most comfortable Christian life you could possibly have in all of human history. Mm-hmm. Um, and we need to be grateful for that. And, and yet we need to be prepared for um, persecution that we've—I just don't think we've ever felt—and and by God's grace, maybe that doesn't happen in my lifetime. But it doesn't feel like that. <laughs> um, and by God's grace, we have so many examples in Scripture of people who stand, stood firm for their faith, and we have so many examples in church history of people that stood firm for their faith. We know that we can follow those examples, and we know that God will. Um, give us the strength to persevere through that. Um, but if we want to have po- like successful gospel proclamation, if we want to have gospel and God, Holy Spirit powered gospel proclamation, we have to be men with full conviction, ready to stand up to opposition. Another character trait of Paul um, is his gospel message flowed from truth and pure motives. Verse 3, For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit. Paul has been speaking of the character of the Thessalonians as well as himself and his traveling companions. But before he transitions into a broader discussion of the motivation behind his message, he addresses two things that must not be true about a biblical gospel message. The message must not come from error or impurity. It must not come by way of deceit. Error in this context relates to a wrong position in biblical manners, holding positions that are contrary to scripture. Impurity relates to an impurity of motives, a desire to gain in a way that is sinful. 
Deceit relates to trickery. It is as if the person presented the gospel advertising all fun and games with no hardship. That's what deceit would be. Um, you hear that gospel message a lot, right? Your best life now? Someone said that once. Um, that's not a life-changing gospel, Holy Spirit-powered gospel message. Um, it's pure. Anything... Um, if you're interested in a biblical gospel ministry, discard anything that compromises the integrity of the gospel message and anything that places a carrot in front of somebody. Um, gospel changed life is not all fun and games. Um, there are benefits. We talked about that a minute ago. There are benefits to having um, a changed life. It's hard. Gospel ministry is hard. It's only going to get harder. Um, repentance is hard. Turning away from sin um, is a sacrifice. You don't want to. You don't want to water down the gospel. Paul one tells us the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It is only compromised when a perhaps well-meaning brother tries to share it in a way that avoids the offensive element of the gospel. You are a sinner. No one wants to hear that. You need to submit to someone higher than you. No one wants to hear that. You don't do it. Your life's not changed. Don't water down the gospel. Um, character like Paul's, number three, concerns itself, or was that number six? Concerns itself with God's approval alone. This is so good. Um, it's so easy to want to try to win somebody instead of look for God's approval in the way that we share the gospel. Let's read verse 4. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but as pleasing God who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. Notice the statements Paul makes about himself. He says he's approved by God. He says he's pleasing God who examines our hearts. He says God is witness. And he calls himself an apostle of Christ. Paul views his gospel ministry as something that has been tested and refined so that he can be entrusted with the gospel. In verse 4, what has been examined and tested, God has examined Paul's heart, not just his deeds. Heart, all of who a man is, God has examined all of Paul. Notice the tenses. Approved by God, past tense, examines our heart, present tense. This is an examination that began in the past and continues into the present. God has been approving Paul all throughout his ministry. Labor and gospel ministry with a desire to please God and God alone. Why? Not greed. Not glory from men. Man is in a mixed condition. Even on his best day, sin is crouching at his door. His own flesh will lie to him that these things are okay. So if you're being used by God in any way, consider this. Am I concerned first and foremost with God's approval or with man's? When you're vacuuming the church, am I concerned first and foremost with God's approval or with man's? When I'm caring for two-year-olds who are screaming and trying to escape the room, Am I doing this for God's approval? I've done that class yeah. for so many years. <laughs> or with man's. We need to be looking for God's approval. We need God can see all of us. He can see our heart. This isn't an outward appearance thing. This is a heart thing. Paul's character values gentleness. Verse 7. We prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. 
At different points in his ministry, Paul had to admonish other church leaders for their own hypocrisy. Galatians 2. He had to rebuke believers in churches he established. Galatians 3. He had to encourage faint-hearted believers. 1 Thessalonians 4. Gospel ministry requires you to make good assessments of those to whom you minister and to bring to them whatever it is that they need most, whether it's rebuke, whether it's help, whether it's encouragement. He needs to be adept at using both a hammer and a polishing cloth. The only kind of man who can do these things well is the man who by God's grace is gentle. I think the impulse is to be a gentle man. That's how you deal with the faint-hearted. But to rebuke, you don't have to be gentle. Oh my goodness, that's wrong. When you're bringing a rebuke, you need gentleness so much more. Um, And yet God calls us as men in other men's lives, as people within the body, to be willing to bring rebukes to each other. And uh, I would put on your daily prayer list, God, make me a gentle man. Um, We're men. We don't want to be gentle. Um, But gentleness is so helpful. Gentle saints wisely bring the right ministry help to the one who needs it. So if you're being used by the Lord in any way, consider, am I content to allow God's power work through me or do I try to augment the gospel message with my own human wisdom Paul's character blends gospel proclamation with selfless love looking at verses um, 8 and 9 of chapter 2 having so fond an affection for you we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God but also our lives, because you had become very dear to us. Look at that verse. He he sandwiches, the bread of the sandwich is having a fond affection of us, and you would become very dear to us. So, So what is the outcome of this love for them? Imparting to you not only the gospel, but also our lives. This isn't a man that stands up front, preaches the gospel, and goes home. He loves the sheep, and he's in their lives. Um, it's you. You have to be in people's lives. Um, that's selfless. It's hard. Lives are messy. It's it's easier not <laughs> to do that. Um, and then in verse nine, he says, "For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship." How working night and day, so as to not be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Gospel ministry isn't only about theological gospel, proclamation of truth. It does come in words, but remember Paul said back in one five, our gospel did not come to you in word only, but in power in the Holy Spirit. Um, you've probably heard the word, the phrase, preach the gospel, sometimes use words. Like, no, preach the gospel with words. <laughs> the gospel comes with words um but be in their lives and don't defame the gospel with the way your life looks gospel ministry shows concern for the rebel with the words it announces pleased to impart to you the gospel of god but it also shows concern for the rebel through selfless acts of love but also our own lives paul emphasizes this by calling to mind more of his gospel love when he was with them Working day and night so as to not be a burden to you. Selfless love. So as to not, like he gave you his motivation not to be a burden. Um, We proclaim to you the gospel of God. Gospel proclamation. Gospel ministry strives to always be content in both content and care. Gospel strives to always be strong in both content and care. I was reading ahead of my words. Um. So if you're being used by the Lord in any way, consider these questions. Is your gospel message accompanied by personal care for others? 
Man, I had a, an employee back at Spencer's who was just so, had so much anger towards God. And, and you could see the gospel proclamation have a different impact through my life in his life because I just loved him. I just would ask, how's your family doing? Like, really wanted to love him. Um, and whatever caused his anger towards God in the past, that whole message was softened because of a true love for this man. Um, and, uh, I mean, I, by, I didn't see him come to faith. I'd love to see him come to faith someday or hear that he did. But I know that, that the love I had for him had an impact on the way the gospel message um, was being heard. Do you pray for those you minister to? There was a situation years ago where I was interacting with someone and they were just really antagonistic towards the gospel. And my wife, who says exactly what I need to hear when I need to hear it, said, oh, are you praying for them? And I'm like, no. <laughs> She's like, well, what do you expect? I'm like, yeah, thanks, honey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep, she's she's awesome. Um do you pray for those whom to whom you minister? Do you know the life circumstances of those to whom you minister? You gotta ask questions. That takes love. You gotta dig into the some of the ugliness of it. Um do you ask, how are you doing? And not the way we always ask, how are you doing? But do you really ask, how are you doing? Um, you know, a question that strikes non-believers is to ask the question, how's your heart? We ask that here because we have a context for that. Um, ask a non-believer that and see what happens. Um, the last point is that Paul's character requires excellent behavior. Um, you are witnesses, and so is God. This is verse 10. How devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave towards you believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own child, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own glory into his own kingdom and glory. Paul reminds them that his godly behavior while he was with them, devoutly, uprightly, and blamelessly. True gospel ministry cares just as much about the behavior of the recipients of the gospel message so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you. You want to be an example of the message that you're preaching. Paul pursued godly behavior in the saints in Thessalonica in the very same way that his loving father would pursue it, that a loving father would pursue it in his own son. So he behaved uprightly, devoutly, and blamelessly so that they would walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, so that they would behave devoutly, uprightly, and blamelessly. You don't want to receive the accusation of hypocrisy. The gospel ministry is concerned with how we live as believers in Christ. Um, you know, this passage talks a lot about gospel proclamation to a lost people who then became a church, who then their message spread throughout all of Asia. And if you look at a map, like homework, it's not in the homework, I don't think. Um, homework is go just do a little bit of research on where Thessalonica was. And when he talks about how they heard the message in all of Macedonia, look at Acts 17, look at Thessalonians, look at how fast and broad the gospel message spread. And we know this was early church spread. We know that God, that the Holy Spirit was doing dynamic things. But God can do dynamic things today. Um, and we have areas within the church that we can minister and build people up. And we have Areas within our context, whether it's our home, our workplace, 
where we can bring the gospel to the lost. And, and I know, for me, too many weeks go by where there isn't enough gospel proclamation. Um, Paul wasn't about that. There weren't days, there weren't hours that went by without pro- gospel proclamation. Um, and so let's be encouraged to bring the gospel to those around us and to encourage other believers to bring the gospel to those around them. Um, don't let your evangelism core question say, I was praying for someone or I didn't really say anything this week. Um, that happens too often. Um, let's, let's bring the gospel to the lost. That's what we're here for. It's one of the few things that we can do that glorifies God that we can't do in heaven. So let's do it while we're here. Let me pray. Lord God, thank you for the example of Paul. God, what a blessing it is to have a New Testament in our hands where we can see a man that loved you so much he didn't let minutes go by without sharing who you were with those around him. God, give us the desire to love you that much, to love others that much, or grow in us that. Lord, help us to not be ashamed of who you are but help us proclaim it boldly with full conviction through your Holy Spirit, Lord. Thank you for these men. Thank you for bringing us here this morning, God. Help us to um, use the next couple of weeks where we may interact with family that's not believing, where there's a topic in this world of your son coming to the earth. Everyone knows it right now. Lord, help us not shy away from gospel proclamation in this month, Lord. In your name, amen.